Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks, howdy, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio, the podcast. Today, I am going to rap on strings. You know, that is the one thing that every bluegrass musician has in common with every other bluegrass musician. We all have strings. I added them up one time, and a standard bluegrass band, that would be banjo, guitar, mandolin, bass, and fiddle, will have 27 strings all doing their thing. And if you add a dobro player, you're looking at 33 strings there. And, you know, I'm, I'm also a piano tuner. I don't know if you... Any of you realize that, but I've been a piano tuner and technician and rebuilder for quite a few years. And one thing that you never hear a piano player say, this is something you would never hear. Man, I sure need to change my strings. You're not going to hear that from a, from a piano player. Or you don't hear them say, you know, I prefer elixir piano strings. They don't have any preferences. Piano players have more strings than than five or six bluegrass bands put together. Hundreds of strings in that thing. And they never change them. And, uh, well, of course, they wouldn't know how to change them. I, I know how to change piano strings, and I hate it. I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But they never change them. They don't know how. In fact, most piano players don't know how to tune uh, it's true for a few bluegrassers, too. We'll do an episode on tuning sometime. And piano players can't afford to change them. I have, uh, you know, over the years, changed the random broken string here and there, and once in a while changed a complete set of wound bass strings. And during a rebuild, you know, something like an old Steinway from the 20s, uh, the entire all strings get changed. So it does happen, but it is expensive. If you, if you bass players are griping about paying 180 bucks for a set of strings, uh, just picture this. Changing a set of piano strings, 2500 bucks. I mean, I just kind of pull that out of my hat, but that's a good round number. Just a set of bass strings would cost, I don't know, five, 600 bucks. It's amazing. But the reason they never have to change them is they keep their grubby fingers off of the string. The piano is this robotic device where you press the keys and all this little mechanical workings inside. That does the banging on the strings. And so, you know, people's grubby fingers don't touch piano strings. And so they stay pretty clean and they last a really, really, really long time. I, I tune pianos regularly that are 75, 80, 90, 100 years old with the original strings on them. Now imagine what your banjo or your dobro would sound like with 100-year-old vintage strings on it. Wouldn't sound so good. And the difference is because you're putting your fingers in contact with the string. And I would also say that, you know, the the attack of a pick... Um, poking away at that string in that same general location 
it does take its toll on the string in that area. The other thing that destroys the string, well, I'll come back to how strings get destroyed later. But take, you know, a little advice is that, you don't have to take my advice, but strings last longer if you wipe them off once in a while, you know, clean the crud off of them. Because our hands have oils and sweat and condensation if you pick up a your glass of tea or something beside you while you're playing your fingers will get moist you know dirt crud you get the idea and if you carry a little soft cloth in your case you know something like a bandana or something and just once in a while wipe them off you would be amazed how much longer they will last now i'm not one of these people that's just crazy about it like after every song i have to wipe my strings down and after every set sometimes i would go months just basically finish a gig and throw it in a case and because of that they get cruddy so you know keeping your strings reasonably clean will make them last longer and it can save you money and it also saves you hassle because to me changing strings are a hassle you might enjoy changing strings on your instrument. I don't. I've never liked it. And God knows I have changed enough strings over the years. I don't think of it as fun. It's fun once you've got them on and tuned up and stabilized and you're hearing them. You're like, wow, man, I guess I really did need to change those strings. But anyway, I think that one little bit of advice is worth you stopping by here today. You know, just... Once in a blue moon, wipe the beer off of your strings or whatever, whatever might be on them. And, you know, one of the things that you can do instead of just wiping the tops is you can slip the cloth underneath the strings and kind of shoe shine it back and forth. And that kind of knocks some of the junk off of your fingerboard, too. Now, here I'm talking primarily about fretted instruments, the mandolin, guitar and banjo but, you know, the same principles apply on the fiddle and the bass. The fiddle and the bass are different in that their strings are smoother because they're, they're flat wound instead of round wound. And I'll, I'll get to that here in a few minutes. But they're smoother so they don't take on as much junk. There's not those little cracks in the string to fill up with junk. So I don't think they need to be wiped quite as much and, you know... When you're talking about the fiddle, you're also talking about the accumulation of rosin. And I'm just going to turn that subject over to the fiddle experts. I am not a fiddle player. I love fiddle playing, but you don't want to hear me play a fiddle. So I'm not going to pretend to know anything about that. But they are flat wound strings, and I suspect that when they're clean, they probably sound better. But don't quote me on that. Anyway, I think a concept that you know you should consider is that just psychologically, periodically thank your strings because without strings, you can't play bluegrass. You may have the greatest instrument in the world. You may have a $185,000 Lloyd Lore 1923 made just before or just after Bill Monroe's. But if you don't have a set of strings, four bucks or five bucks, you don't have anything really. So thank your strings once in a while. You know, I, it tickles me that people like to talk about their instruments. Sometimes they give them, you know, cute little names and stuff. And they 
they like to polish it and hold it and look at it and take pictures of it and stuff. But they treat their strings like dirt. You know, you beat on them all the time and you're, you're mashing them and thrashing them with a pick. And then when they've served their usefulness, you just take them off and chuck them in the trash. Nobody ever names their strings. Now, I'm not saying you should go to that extent, but just I'm just saying appreciate your strings. Maybe be a little more respectful of your servant, the string. And speaking of strings, that reminds me of a joke. This is what I told my son. There, there are very few jokes that you can tell, you know, a seven, eight, nine-year-old. Because a lot of jokes, you know, are just not appropriate for kids. But this is one that's just perfect for a kid. So the string goes in a bar. I love that because right off the bat, this is just like an outlandish concept. A string goes in a bar. And the bartender says, hey, we don't allow strings in here. Get out. And the string is like he's all sad and he, he leaves the bar. It's like, man, this ain't right. I'm so thirsty. I'm going to go back in there and try again. So the string goes back in the bar and the bartender says, hey, didn't I tell you? We do not allow strings in this bar. Hit the door. The string goes back outside. Man, he is so thirsty. Well, he gets an idea and he, he ties himself all up in a real twisted knot so that the bartender might not recognize him when he comes back in. And so he slips back in real sheepishly and goes up to the bar. And the bartender says... Hey, ain't you that string was just in here a minute ago? The string says, no, I'm afraid not. Anyway, you could tell your son or daughter that joke and they can tell it safely at school without getting in trouble. Anyway, so let's talk more about what do strings do? Why are they so darned important? Well, we know that they do something because an instrument without strings doesn't do much. It's more of a percussion instrument. You know, you could bang on the box. But you put some strings on there and all of a sudden the whole thing comes alive. Well, just in a nutshell, it is a very complex thing that strings do. But in a nutshell, the string is stretched across the instrument and you take your pick, your finger pick, your flat pick, or a bow, or your fingertips in the case of a bass, and you plunk that thing. Well, when you do that, you're imparting energy into the string and it begins to vibrate. And it'll vibrate for some length of time. It gradually decreases and decreases and decreases in strength. That is what you call sustain. So the string is wiggling back and forth, and it's doing so at a certain speed. So many cycles per second. On a mandolin, if you hit the second string, presuming it's in tune, that string will begin vibrating back and forth 440 times per second. If you played the fifth fret on the first string on your mandolin and plunk the string, it'll vibrate at 880 cycles per second. So each pitch that you hear has a different corresponding rate of vibration. If you grab up an A tuning fork, 
That thing is designed to vibrate at 440 cycles per second, or hertz. The old-fashioned term for cycles per second was hertz, named after a guy named Hertz, not the uh, car rental guy. But anyway, the string vibrates. You plunk it, you bow it, you pluck it, and it sits there vibrating. Now, I'm not in this episode going to get into the complexities of how strings vibrate. It's very complex, and I I studied this a lot as a piano tuner. It vibrates in the fundamental mode, but it also vibrates in harmonic modes, and it all gets really squirrely fast, so I'm going to save that for another time. But just think about this. Kind of picture the string like a jump rope. You've seen, you know, two little girls out in the yard swinging their jump rope around, and a kid in the middle jumping up and down. Okay, that is kind of like the way a string vibrates in its fundamental mode, in that the entire string is vibrating as one unit terminated at the two endpoints where the two kids are holding the ends of the jump rope. It kind of looks like that a little bit. So the swinging of the jump rope, if you think about this, every time that jump rope comes around, it sort of yanks on the hand of the person that's holding it. And that's what happens when your string vibrates. Let's just assume it's a, an absolutely simple waveform, just the fundamental, just the 440 for an A note. I'm going to talk about all those complex harmonics. But when the string, and, and you can see this, if, if you, it's really easy to see on a bass or a guitar, something with slacker strings. But if you pluck a string and look at it, in the middle, you'll see it's moving quite a bit. It, you know, a bass string might be moving an eighth of an inch side to side in the center. But if you look down near the nut or near the bridge, you'll, you'll hardly detect any motion at all. So it's moving more in the center than it is at the termination points at the end, at the nut and the bridge. So that middle is moving side to side. And the the way that it moves kind of depends upon how you pick the string. Is it moving just directly side to side, or is it kind of moving into an oval or a round shape? But it's moving. We have to admit it's moving side to side. So there is some mass there. The, the weight of the string, you might say, is swinging from side to side, just like if you go to a playground and push a swing you know there's a swing just sitting there doing nothing just hanging there and you give it a push it's going to begin to swing back and forth that's what your string is doing and i suppose that if you had a a playground swing swinging at 440 times a second you'd hear an a note but playground swings don't vibrate quite that rapidly Anyway, because the string is moving to the side, I want you to picture this. Picture you take a rope and you tie it between two trees and you get it good and tight. You've sort of simulated what your instrument string is like. Now, assume that the rope is motionless and you walk up to the middle of it and you grab the rope and start pulling on it. Pull it to the side and just keep pulling and pulling and pulling. 
what is happening as you pull the the rope to the side you're going to either stretch the rope or bend the trees inward and if you if you did this and you tied the rope to a couple of springy like bamboo poles or something and you pulled the center of the string to the side you would see the bamboo poles moving in flexing inwards or if you tied it to a couple of massive oak trees and you pulled on it if you can pull it at all it's coming from the stretch of the string but the important point here is that any side-to-side -side motion of the rope applies a force to the tree well that's your bridge and that's your nut now the nut is way down there on one end it's far away from the sound box so the vibration the pulling at the nut it does something to your sound but it's not the primary sound production end of the instrument but the bridge on the other hand when that string moves to the side it's literally pulling the bridge towards it and the the bridge tips toward the string microscopically but it does move and as the bridge tips just imagine your bridge moving towards the nut it's getting shorter because somebody's yanking on the string or picking on the string or the string is just vibrating in this arc the bridge moves then the string comes back to the middle just picture that swing on the playground it swings back it swings to the middle it swings forward it swings to the middle it swings back well when it's at the middle it's lowest it's closest to the ground well when your string passes the center point the bridge is right back at rest again it's not tipping and then the string swings past the middle point its resting point and it pulls the bridge forward again then it relaxes back to the middle and the bridge stands straight up again the mass of the string keeps the string on moving past the middle and it pulls the bridge again so every time that the string is out at the side it's pulling the bridge toward the string so the vibration of the string is transferred to the bridge and the bridge is really just a lever you know if you're gonna lift a car or like I did not too long ago I had to lift up my riding lawnmower to change the blades well I grabbed it and see if I could lift it and shove a block under there and I couldn't lift it so I went and got a two by four and a concrete block and I stuck that two by four underneath the back end of the, the uh, mower stuck the block under there and with one hand just pushed down the end of that thing and practically tipped it over and shoved a, a jack under there leverage magnifies force so you picture that little string it's moving back and forth maybe an eighth of an inch maybe a sixteenth maybe a thirty second maybe less it's just barely moving and there's not a lot of mass in a in the E string of a mandolin but there is some and a tiny bit of pulling force is applied to the bridge well to magnify that force you need a lever and that's what your bridge is your bridge has some height to it it's a tilting sort of 
thing. It's standing up there, and when the string pulls on it, it tips. Well, the feet of the bridge then impart that tilting motion onto the soundboard. Soundboard's a lot bigger than the bridge. So a little tiny movement in the top of the bridge affects the feet of the bridge, and they press on the soundboard or the head of the banjo. And because it's much larger, that motion is transferred out through that board. And remember that the, the rate of vibration is the same throughout that whole thing. So if you've got a string vibrating at 440, it's pulling on the top of the bridge at 440. That's making the feet of the bridge move at 440. And that forces the banjo head or the guitar top or the cone in a resonator guitar to also vibrate at 440. But it's a much bigger thing. You know, if you, if you took a banjo string and just took a two by four and uh, stuck a nail in one end and put the loop over it and then went to the other end and screwed on a guitar tuner or something and tightened that string up to the exact same tension of a banjo and you plunked it, you'd be able to hear it just barely. If you got your ear real close to it, you might be able to hear that string just barely going. But with a soundboard or a head or a resonator cone, it's amplified. And it's amplified because the surface area of the soundboard is a lot bigger than the surface area of that string. Because after all, sound, the whole idea of sound is to get air in motion. Because we live in an atmosphere. I'm sure you've noticed that. And sound will travel through air. It'll also travel through solid objects. It'll travel through liquids. It won't travel through a vacuum. But for what we're talking about, let's talk about air. Sound waves, that string moving back and forth on that 2x4, is moving some air. Not very much, because it's a tiny, tiny little string. But it is pumping a little air. It's putting the wave into the air, and the molecules are bumping into each other and eventually get to your eardrum and make your eardrum wiggle at 440. But it's very weak. So you want to make it stronger, you got to get more stuff moving. you got to move more air. And that is the purpose of the soundboard. That is the purpose of the banjo head, the resonator cone, is to transfer that little energy of the string through the geometry and leverage action of the bridge and the bracing and a lot of other things and get that entire soundboard moving at the same rate. That will pump a whole lot more air. Anybody that's ever stood on the front side of a banjo knows it's louder than if you stand on the back side. That's because that, that wall of moving pressurized air is coming out of the front of that banjo. Some comes out of the back and some bounces off of objects and jumps around the room and all that. I'm not going to get into all, all these, you know, ways in which different things affect the acoustics. But just remember that your string is the driver. It's the driver of that whole thing. If you think about a speaker cone for you uh, stereo buffs or PA type guys and gals, if you think about a speaker, there's a speaker cone and then there's the driver or the coil. 
So the coil gets to vibrating based on the current going through the, the signal going through the coil. And that in turn moves the entire speaker cone. And that causes more air to go pumping out into the audience's realm, into the atmosphere. And if you don't believe that's true, if you got an old speaker that you don't care about, go buy one at Goodwill. Hook it up to your boombox or something and let it be playing. And then take your scissors and just start cutting away that cone, that cardboard cone. And just, just cut it all away until there's nothing left but the coil. And you will barely hear that thing. Well, that's the essence of what goes on in your instrument. Your string is the driver. And that's why they're so darn important. Because the same thing is true about a speaker. If you took the driver out, nothing is going to make that cone do anything. It's like having your lore with no strings, you know? Okay, enough about all that, the science of strings, stringology 101. Uh, let's talk about uh, the expense. I said, uh, you know, in a piano, if somebody foolishly said, hey, do you want, you know, I want my piano strings changed, I'd just throw them out 2500 in attempts to get them to change their mind but you know guitar strings cost six bucks on the internet mandolin about the same dobro about the same banjo usually a little bit less because there's only one wound string in a banjo set but strings are pretty cheap until you become a fiddle player or a bass player and you know fiddle strings could cost anywhere crummy ones 20 bucks up to 80 or 100 bucks and basses Get your wallet out, you know. The sorriest bass strings are going to cost 50 75 bucks, and they're going to go up to 200 plus. And the reason I bring up the cost is the common question you get from all beginners is, well, what, what are the best strings? What should I use? What are the best strings I should, you know, what should I be using on my banjo or my mandolin or on my whatever? And I cannot answer that for you. I can tell you what I like for me on my instrument and the way I play. And you have to discover that for yourself. The best strings for you are the strings that are right for you and the way you play and the kind of music you play and the instrument that you play. Change the way you play and you might want to change your strings. Change your instrument and you might choose a different string. You know, all these things are very personal. That's why there's so many different kinds of strings out there. Everybody doesn't like the same string. You know, back when I started, you couldn't find banjo strings or mandolin strings anywhere. There were a couple of pawn shops that had them, and they basically you had one choice. They had 12 or 15 types of guitar strings, but yeah, we got some banjo strings here. But now with the internet, you can... You could spend a long time trying out lots of different strings, and I suggest that you do that if you haven't settled on what you think is best for you and your instrument. Try a lot of strings and give them a fair chance. You know, when you put on a set of strings, they're going to sound great when you first put them on, And but how long do they last? That could be important to you. And, and I always suggest that if you're going to try strings, buy two or three sets of everything that you're going to try and leave them on for a while. Really give them a fair chance before you make up your mind. And it's hard because, you know, six months later, you may not really remember what those other strings sounded like. So my policy was to pick a 
pick a type of string that, you know, a lot of people like, try to find the gauge, the, you know, the thickness that I like, and then just stick with it for a couple of years. You know, unless I've got a good reason to change something, I probably won't change something. And just for the record, I use M400 Martins on my mandolin. And I got into that because my friend Bob McIsaac was a was an authorized Martin repair guy, and he could buy them, and I could get them really, really cheap. So I'd buy them a box at a time. Banjo, I've always um, different GHS versions. Um, I use uh, D'Addario on the Dobro, and uh, I can't remember. I don't have my bass string package around. It's been so long since I bought a set of bass strings, but I have one particular type of bass string that I like, and I just can't remember what it is right now. Piastro something, I forget. Anyway, they're 200 bucks, and I, I try not to think about those bass strings very often. Okay, so what makes all these different types of strings? Why are there so many different types? Some of them, quite frankly, you know, brand A and brand B are identical, because there aren't that many string manufacturers. So when you, especially if you walk in and start looking at guitar strings, you're going to see a dizzying array of different types of strings. Well, a lot of them came from the same factory. They may be, you know, different materials and different gauges, but the manufacturers are few, especially when it comes to the raw materials for strings. There are very, very few wire makers. There used to be a few more, but... It's getting down to where there aren't many wire makers. So even the manufacturers are buying their wire from just a couple of places in the world. Anyway, just bear in mind that there is that private label concept of, you know, the like if you make ice cream, you know, on the, on the day shift, you crank out, you know, brand A. And at night for four hours, they switch the box and they make brand B private labeling it's exactly the same stuff in the box well that happens with strings so some of the, especially the more outlandish you know the stuff that's marketed to punk rockers and stuff like that eh, pretty much i think a lot of those strings are the same as if you went over and bought the ghs they might be made by ghs who knows so there's a lot of guesswork there but what is different about these strings? Let me say this about plain strings, plain steel strings. They are pretty much all the same. It's hard to do anything different to a plain steel string, especially when that plain steel is all coming from just a handful of manufacturers. So if if the the company that is making the stainless steel wire, let's say it's ten thousandths of an inch in diameter, and they're churning this stuff out. And then they're selling it to several different string manufacturers. They're not varying their quality. It's just the same string that everybody's getting. So when you're talking about plain steel, it's pretty much going to be the same from one brand to another. But when you start talking about wrapped strings, wound strings, now you're getting into some different territory. A wound string has a core, which could be a, a round steel core. It could be a hex-shaped steel core. It could be braided steel. It could be synthetic. 
like nylon or something in the center. It could be gut when you're talking fiddle and bass. So that core can vary. And if you're a string maker, you may say, well, I like a, for a, this type of string, we're going to make a hex out of steel and blah, blah, blah. And then it's wrapped with a wire. And it can either be wrapped with a round wrapping wire or a flat wrapping wire made of different substances. It could be various versions of bronze, phosphor bronze, 8020, silver plated, nickel silver. I mean, there's all kind of possibilities here. So you begin to get into a lot of different combinations of possibilities when you talk about wrapped wound strings. So there, my recommendation is, well, find something you like and just use that. I mean, it's complicated. Ask around, ask what some of the better players use and then try some stuff. And if you like it, you found your string, you know, it's, it's so complicated that there is no formula. I can't tell you, well, you play a round back mandolin and you know, you play in this style and therefore you should use this. Nobody can tell you that there are some generalities that you can go with, but nobody can decide what kind of string you like, except you. So try some stuff. You know, I bought a set of strings one time at Walmart. I was hurting for some guitar strings and I'm walking through back around the record department and they had these guitar strings. I was like, Walmart sells guitar strings. They had one kind. I bought two sets of them, five bucks a piece, took them home, slapped that set of guitar strings on my Martin. And I immediately cut them off and threw them away. It was the worst sounding string I'd ever heard. You couldn't even tune the thing. So there are bad strings. I don't know what was wrong. They just simply sounded horrible. It was untunable. Anyway, so that does exist. Um, you'll find your string if you keep looking. And then don't be so fickle and don't be changing all the time because you'll never, you know, you have to develop a relationship with your instrument and your string. Anyway, if, if all this is getting a little bit confusing, let me kind of simplify it and recap here. Bottom line, you might say. Number one, changing your strings once in a while will make you sound better. No doubt about it. And they fade slowly and they deteriorate slowly. So you may not notice them from day to day, but boy, you put a new set on and you'll notice it suddenly sounds better. But I caution people not to get in love with the sound of a new string. You know, this is, this is choosing strings a lot like dating and marriage. You know, you don't want to go, you know, go chasing the first flashy, shiny object you see. Give them a chance to settle in. You know, like think about the newlywed couple after six months. You know, what do they think about each other then? They still like each other. They still getting along pretty good. Or are they throwing frying pans at each other? And, you know, <laughs> I don't need to describe that kind of thing to you. I'm sure you can imagine it. I'm sure it's never happened to you. But strings are like that. A brand new set of strings can seem great. And let's say you were using brand A and you switched to brand B. 
Wow, they sound great. Of course they sound great. They're brand new, you know. Give them a couple of months. Beat on them a while. They're not going to sound so good after that. Then what do you think? Anyway, on the other hand, try lots of different strings. Try them, give them a fair shake, and then settle on something that you do like. But, you know, like dating and marriage, give them time. And try to look to the future and go, well, what will I think of this string when it's six months old? You know what I mean? Anyway, this analogy is, I'm probably carrying this analogy a little too far, but another thing that you should always do is always carry spares. You never know when a string is going to break. And as I said right at the beginning, an instrument without strings is pretty useless. So carry spares. I always suggest when you're buying a set of strings, always buy two. Then change them and you got some spares. If you always have two sets extra, I'm not talking about you bass players. We bass players can't carry around. What what bass players do is they carry around their old strings. Something breaks, they put the old one back on. I've got two sets of old bass strings in my zipper compartment of my bag. So that's what bass players do. But carry spares, you need them. You break one, you know, you're out of commission. Slap a string on there. And if you're breaking lots of strings, try to figure out why. You know, it, it's probably some sharp point on your instrument. Could be the tailpiece, could be the bridge, could be the nut, could be the tuning machines. There could be a little burr on there that is, you know, cutting and weakening the string. Or maybe you're just, you know, hitting them too hard. Maybe you should consider changing your technique or your pick or something, you know. What I'm saying is if you're just breaking lots of strings, try to get to the bottom of that, you know, because that's not normal to break a ton of strings. Or, you know, if you just, maybe you need anger management counseling, <laughs> you know. Or maybe they're just getting corroded by your body chemistry. I, I got a banjo one time. One of my students, I think he was taking guitar lessons, and he said, hey, I got a banjo. Are you interested? Would you might want to buy a banjo? I said, I don't know. What is it? Oh, I'll bring it. I can't remember. So he brings it. He opens it up. It was a Deering. I don't remember which model it was. I don't remember. It was one of the better ones, though. Had this Deering banjo, like I don't know, it looked horrible. I mean, the all the nickel was green, just like crusty green stuff all over it. The uh, the strings were broken and rusty, and the the fingerboard was all crudded up. The frets had turned green. There was just crud all over this banjo. I said, I don't know. What do you want for it? He said, four hundred bucks. I said, all right. So I bought the thing. Spent about a month cleaning it up, disassembling it, polishing out all the nickel and everything. And eventually, I think I sold that banjo for a thousand bucks. And, uh, but the person that owned that banjo had some strange body chemistry. I don't know what kind of prescription drugs they were on or what they ate. I don't know. I don't know what makes one person's chemistry different from another, but we're not all exactly the same. And some people can play an instrument, they have very dry hands and, their strings last a long time and never get gross. And other people could just look at an instrument and it starts corroding and turning green. And 
you know, if that's you, you're going to be changing strings more often and definitely get you a little piece of flannel and wipe your instrument down a little bit and uh, possibly do some investigation into diet and other things. You know, perhaps something that you consume a lot of is coming out through the sweat glands in your hand and wrecking your instrument. So maybe that's the cause of string breakage. Who knows? I'm really getting way off track here, but I hope you enjoyed this discussion of strings, a little bit of stringology. And I want to once again, thank everyone for listening to the grass talk radio podcast and visiting my website, bradleylaird.com. Thanks a bunch. And I'll talk to you in the next podcast.